How about these battling bucks? Bounce left side, picked by Hayes. Throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana. What a double play. Gonna try and score, no, he's held up, and now they've got a double play chance. Rodriguez will throw to second, here comes the throw back to the plate, and they do it! Yes. What a job! What a job! Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana! What a double play! Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the 412 Double Play Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Michael Castragana, with a really exciting guest. Joining me as my Double Play partner this week, former Sports Illustrated cover model, three-time pennant winner, and man responsible for breaking the streak of the most consecutive losing seasons in MLB history, leading the team back to the playoffs during his tenure as manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. It is my great honor to welcome to the show Clint Hurdle. Thank you for joining today. How have you been doing, sir? Michael, uh, the Hurdle family is doing very well. We've settled on uh, into Anna Marie Island, which is west of Bradenton, Lake Home Park, McKechnie Park, Lake Home Field. Um, we've been here a while. We actually left Pittsburgh in 2010. Um, no, excuse me, 2020. That was our last year. And we've settled in. Maddie's worked her way through a deferred diploma in high school at Manatee High School. Christian is now in his first semester of college at the Culinary Institute of America in New York State. Uh, Carla and I are here on the island. Um, I've got two sisters that live on the East Coast with my mom and dad. And my oldest daughter, Ashley, her husband, Ricky, live on the East Coast. And... Um, Everybody's close, everybody's healthy, and we're all happy. So all is good. That's great to hear. Happy to hear that you're doing well. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about Pirates, Pirates podcast, but first I want to reflect back on your career. Now, you had a roller coaster of a career, both as a player and as a coach. Picked ninth overall by the Kansas City Royals in 1975, shot up through the minor leagues, debuted in 77. By 78, you were on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the headline, This Year's Phenom. That's a big title to put on a 20-year-old. Now, with the Pirates having their own proclaimed phenom in pitcher Paul Skeens, what are some keys to handling that kind of pressure? Well, I think that's it's societal in a sense because nobody cares what the weight is for the player. They just want to throw out something that sounds cute, sounds good. Uh, it yeah. grabs your attention. Um, and in Paul's case, I'm really happy. You know, he's got much more experience walking into this than I did. He's got four years of college. Um, I was drafted out of high school, uh, graduated in 75. Um, the cover hit in 78, March. So at the time, I was 20. 
<laughs> 21 years old. Um, you don't know what you don't know at 21, and there's nothing to prepare you for something like that. I can tell you that, you know, within the industry, there was a lot of players that have put their heart and soul and life into a game of baseball. A lot of them had major league service time of you know, double-digit years, and you get a kid that walks in the clubhouse the first time, he's got his picture on the cover of, at that time, arguably one of the top three ranked magazines <coughs> that was distributed. If you can, I don't know if you can remember, Michael, you're, you're pretty young, but there was a day when you walked in a 7-Eleven, there wasn't a newsstand. There wasn't 57 different magazines laid out in an area. There were three, and they were right next to the cash register. It was Newsweek time and Sports Illustrated. So that being said, it was a lot. I tried to handle it the best of my ability. I had some people in my support. But in Paul's case, he's, had, he's going to have opportunities. He went through college as a different experience. He went to a major college where baseball was a huge, you know, a huge event. Um, right. A lot more experience. He played in tournament ball, you know, the, the whole College World Series. He's also got the opportunity of going through rookie indoctrination classes, which we never had back in the day. It was basically a school yep. of hard knocks when you walked in. So there's so many more tools available and I do believe most organizations know that there's a line that shouldn't be crossed when they're just sensationalizing the person for the product of the organizational benefit, but trying to do both. You want to make sure the kid's available, that the people know of him, but you're going to make your noise with performance. And you don't ever want to get the publicity in front of the performance, the hype, let him go out and pitch. Um, let him go out and play. The game will teach him things along the way. But there's a lot of a lot of things that nobody nobody needs to uh, have to deal with uh, as far as the pressure that comes with that, um, with the performance and the expectations. Because unlimited potential, truthfully, when you think about it, that's a curse. Because how do you reach it? You don't. It's called unlimited. So it's something they're always to grasp forward to. I learned a lot of lessons through my ride, though, that I wouldn't exchange now because it's turned me into the man that I became, the, the player that I became. And obviously, a lot of it helped me figure things out when I'd be probably more benefit of when I became a coach and sure. a manager on how to use my experiences to help other younger players coming up in the same vein. Yeah, and uh, obviously, we're very excited about Skeens as fans, but kind of uh, pivoting off of that, after you retired from playing, you went right into coaching with the Mets system, the uh, St. Lucie Mets. It seemed like a very natural transition for you. Was that something that you had interest in during your playing years? Was that something that um, just kind of was a harder transition for you? Like, what was the, what happened with that exactly? <clears throat> I was too busy trying to make teams and stay on teams to think about coaching. Until I got to the point where I wasn't playing every day. Um, right. It was towards the end of my career. Um, basically, when I'd gotten released by Seattle on opening day, and I want to say that was in 1983, spent time with the Royals, spent time with the Reds. The Reds' experience didn't go well. Uh, my performance wasn't what it should have been. I spent time in AAA that year in 82. And then in 83, I had a spring training with the Mariners. Best spring I ever had in baseball and got cut opening yep. day. Um, so yeah. then I had to go look for a job and I found a job with the Mets and 
you know, I was blessed with an opportunity to start a new, for lack of a better term, a new relationship with the manager there, Davy Johnson. Davy yep. Johnson was working his way up through the minor leagues as a manager. I was trying to work my way back through the, the minor leagues to the big leagues. Davy put me in a position then where I learned how to play third base. Long story, but I never played third base. Our third baseman got hurt opening day. He looked down the, like old school, he looked down the tunnel. I was DHing. He looked down the things. Has anybody ever played? Can, it, can anybody play third base? <laughs> I raised my hand. He goes, okay, because our third baseman broke his hand. And he took me out of the DH, but put me at third. And after about three games, he called me off. He goes, what the hell? You said you could play third. He goes, you can't play third. Have you ever played third? I go, Davey, the what? I wasn't going to mention yeah. the errors. Well, Davey, said, Davey said, I asked if you could, if, you know, if anybody ever played third. I said, no, you didn't. You asked, would anybody play third? I, I said I would play third. I never played third, but I would play third. Well, he goes, okay, from that point on, I'm going to work with you and turn you into the third baseman. Well, I ended up playing every game that year in AAA. The first first one or two was the DH. The rest were at third base. Garden Hire was to my left. Wally Backman was over at, at second base. Uh, so I learned how to play third. Then I learned how to catch. Davey brought me spring training next year and asked me, have you ever thought about catching? Never in my life have I thought about catching. So at Why the age not? of 27, I learned how to catch. <laughs> yeah. Those experiences and then sitting in a bullpen, being behind the plate and watching the game in front of you, that kind of pivoted me to thinking about, oh, my gosh, there's so much about this game that I didn't know, and I'd been playing it for so many years, but I'd been playing it in the outfield. Played a little first base. Now I took mm -hmm. that corner at third. Then I went behind the plate, and everything kind of opened up, and I started thinking, you know, there may be something more for me after the game, at least maybe to share experience, to share strength and to share hope for other guys because I was basically a number one that didn't, you know, that didn't land it like everybody expected. However, to get 10 years in the big leagues is not easy. No. Um, and, and to play and, and to do all that. So I think there were some very valuable lessons learned along the way. I think there were some great opportunities to be challenged by the game. And by myself and my teammates to to kind of learn how to play a better team focused game, not just trying to take care of myself. So towards the end of my career, I gave it some thought, but it wasn't until one year I had two offers to go to spring training, and our minor league farm director Steve Scriber with the Mets said, "Hey, have you ever thought about managing?" I said, "Steve, I thought about a lot of things lately. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm spending too much time in the minor leagues." Um, I'm trying to find my way back, and now you're asking me to manage. So I guess you you, know, you, you, you don't think I'm a very good player. Just, you still have value as a player. I just believe you have more value if you you know just cut the strings and try the management thing. Yeah. So over the course of time, Michael, I kept threatening to play with a higher job opportunity that he wanted to give me, and he finally came back and gave me the opportunity at St. Lucie, which is high A. He offered me right. low rookie. He offered me high rookie. He offered me low A, and then he offered me St. St. Lucie. I kept telling him, you keep wanting me to go to New York. You want me to go to Kentucky. You want me to go to Virginia to manage. I go, there's a ballpark 45 minutes away down the road to St. Lucie that I could manage at. And he kept telling me, you're not qualified. You don't have enough experience. You can't do it. You need to go learn the ropes. Da, 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 da. And I said, okay, I'll play. What do you mean you're going to play? You don't, I, you know. I <laughs> I said, I got, I got two opportunities. You know, I said, the last two years I've gone and made the club out of spring training as a non-roster guy. I, I think I can do that. 
oh, you're wasting your time. Rah, rah, rah. Well, anyway, he finally came back and said, hey, would you be willing to, to retire for the job in St. Lucie? And I said, Steve, that's funny. I said, good players retire. Guys like me, no, we don't retire. Yes, I just it's a pivot. I'll go from, I'll, I'm not playing anymore. I'll go, I'll, I'll go do that. Uh, he goes, you know, are you sure? I go, yeah, I got two offers. I go, I got you and the Cardinals to go back to. <laughs> you know, I'm 13 yeah. years old. It, 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 it is what it is. So I jumped into it then in 1988 was my first year as a manager. And I won't say I was born for it. I will say I just felt comfortable doing it, the challenges that came with it. And mm -hmm. I loved to still compete, but I loved to work with young men now that had the same dreams and visions that I did, you know, a few years earlier. Sure. Now, uh, kind of going off of that, you played in the 1980 World Series with the Royals, managed the Rockies in 2007 with the insane late season run to make the World Series. And then you were a hitting coach for the Rangers in 2010 when they reached the Fall Classic. For you personally, which is, is the bigger thrill, playing in as uh, on the field in, in the Fall Classic or managing on the biggest stage and, and seeing players that you're coaching uh, participating in and trying to win it all? So, Michael, it's a good question, and my answer is this. It was the one I was doing at the time. You know, from the time I was six, I'm in the backyard playing wiffle ball, and the bases are loaded. It's the World Series, all and right. so-and-so is on the mound. I was a big Tiger fan, and every all my games in the backyard were the Cardinals versus the Tigers, the 67 World Series. I was 10 years old. I was replaying Bob Gibson on the mound. He's pitching the K-line. He's pitching the cash. He's pitching the McCullough. <laughs> and... To be there at 23 years old and be in the outfield at Vet Stadium, and back then 70,000 people at Veterans Stadium when the Phillies and the Royals played. Um, but it's a different time. My mom and dad have been with me at all three World Series, which is an incredible blessing. But then to be the hitting coach of the Rangers in 2010, it was like, okay, you know, I left. I didn't leave Colorado. I was fired in Colorado. So theoretically, I left. Um, and to go there in one year, develop new relationships, to work for Ron Washington, who actually coached for me in the Mets system back when I was managing. Um, basically, we've known each other 32 years. And to get to the World Series in another place where they said, you'll never make it. You, Texas, it's too hot. Mm -hmm. The division's too tough. Da, 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 da. Well, we made it. So that was an incredible experience at the time. Um the, the 07 run with the Rockies was crazy because I don't know how many people told us we could never do it in altitude. You can't win at altitude. You know, you can't do it that way. I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody told me you couldn't do something or we couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Because I've been fortunate to go through three World Series. And it's a very small group of people. Michael, I actually had an intern when I was in Colorado dig up the number. How many players actually have been to the World Series. How many people have been to the World Series as a player, a coach, and a manager? I have no idea what the number is now. It's still not big. But you know what a smaller group is, Michael? That I lost all three times that I went. So that's even a smaller group. I finished second all three times yeah. in the World Series as a player, coach, and a manager. So I've had this inherent feeling when we were in Pittsburgh that that was going to be the time where not only were we going to win the sixth World Series for the wow. for the for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the nation, you know, Buck Nation and everybody there, 
but it would be my fourth attempt at a World Series and to come through on a winning side. So that one still hasn't pulled off. Each experience was was singularly incredibly special. Um, and I, what I like to take away from those experiences, Michael, is the blessing it gives to so many other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into this later, but you think about what happened in Pittsburgh in those three years going to the playoffs, what it did for our fan base, what it did for generational Pirate fans, what it did for kids that grew up and never saw a winning season to go to a playoff game and see a grandfather with a father, with a son, with his son, a three generation or a grandmother with her daughter, with her, with her daughter, the vibrant actions that took place in the North shore downtown so much. It makes everybody's work easier. It makes everybody's work easier when you play good baseball and you win games. It was definitely something that was exciting from a fan perspective to, to experience. Uh, now, you joined the Pirates ahead of 2011. The team was still going through yet another rebuild in their recent history, but they were in contention through summer of 11 and 12 uh, before breaking through in 2013, making playoffs also in 14 and 15. What was the most important thing in getting those teams over that hump? And when did you know that the team had something special in your mind for, for that time? Well, as you said, 2011-2012, we learned how to play better baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned together that we could win. We learned together uh, the importance of fundamentally sound baseball, of meeting the demands of the game. Um, I do think one thing that we're exposed in both those years was our, our depth. Right. Um, we had a lot of players. We were trying to do a lot of things. Um, and both, actually all near, nine years I was there, we were at the top of the division or second in the division at the All-Star break. All nine years that I managed there. Um, so even those two years, we were playing above 500 ball coming in the All-Star break, and we didn't have enough gas in the tank. To finish it off, and I think both years presented learning opportunities for the guys that remained, especially 12. It gets to a point like a lot of kids probably may not can't can't relate to this, but but guys my age, there was a day when you go to the playground and you'd have a pickup game, whatever it might be, the season in place. Well, there you know there's competition, there's people tussling, wrestling, playing. Every once in a while, somebody get in a fight. You know, and, and somebody would get maybe hit. Uh, and and if I was that guy, because it happened to me one time, I got popped, I got a bloody nose. I had to go home and I tried to clean it up the best I could so my parents wouldn't notice, but my nose was swollen. There was blood on my shirt. And, you know, I acted like nothing happened. I go, well, what went on? I told my dad. And he goes, so what are you going to do about it? It's that point, what do you do when you get beat up or you get knocked off the playground? You go home and tell your dad so he can go fight your fighter. You figure out how to get bigger, stronger, get your ass back on the playground and, and put a foot down and start playing. And I think that's what the 2012 team did mentally. And then no doubt, the acquisitions of some of these guys we brought in, Burnett, Martin, unbelievable. Liriano, the, uns- the, the silent one, the silent assassin off the mound. I mean, Neil did such a good job with Kyle Stark winning on the margins, finding guys that had had success, maybe weren't in a good place there. Dan Fox and the analytic, the R&D department upstairs combined. We found a rhythm and a rhyme that worked for us starting in 13. Started with run prevention. Um, started with, you know, roster building. 
uh, developing a different mindset in AAA on how many starting pitchers we would need to hopefully employ or deploy during the course of the season. Uh, structuring a bullpen. I think one of Neil's strengths was always finding arms that were capable. And the beautiful thing about Neil, all the years we worked together, Neil never gave me a play sheet. Here, you got to do this if they do this. We talked about games beforehand, and then he let me manage the games. And I used my coaches. And he would always say, he would always say, look, when I can't trust your 40-some years in a uniform in that dugout, yeah. it's on me to make a decision on getting somebody else or just trust you to do it. You know, it can look one way from the fourth floor. And it can look one way on a piece of paper at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It can look a different way at 8.30 at night, you know, with that pitcher on the mound or whatever he's doing. So there's an eye test. There's a gut test. And, and the, the analytics all played together. And I think that's one of the things we did real well. We had a hybrid model of the researching data, the analytics, and we had human analytics involved with it. And we put the two together. And I think it put our players in the best position to have success. Um, it led us to a nice string of, my gosh, how much fun was it to go in that park from 2013 to 2015, yeah. starting with the blackout and the playoffs, but just the vibe downtown in the North Shore the vibe over the bridges, the regular gates of the rotunda. I mean, it was like going to a Halloween party some nights with all the pirate outfits. <laughs> the Jolly Roger flags in the stadium. I mean, everybody had one a different shape and size. It was an incredible point in time in my baseball experience that I'll never forget. I'll always be thankful and grateful for. Um, and it was just a whole lot of fun. We didn't finish it off. We didn't get to where we wanted, but we did – one of the things I think I said, Michael, I know I said when I came back in, was to rebond the city with its ball team. And yeah. we did that. Yeah, and it was incredible. I was fortunate to be there for Game 3 in uh, 2013 of the NLDS, and I wasn't able to go to the blackout game. But the atmosphere for Game 3, that for the whole playoffs, was something that I hadn't experienced previously or since. It was just so much fun to have back in Pittsburgh. And... Uh, just a great experience overall. So now in uh, preparing to talk with you, I read through a number of interviews, articles. The main thing that kept coming up was your positivity and encouragement to the point where you now have a daily email chain that was inspired back in, I think I read uh, 2008, texting with some friends. So could you talk to me about that and also how you stay positive working in a sport with such an emotional, mental, and physical grind that there is? <laughs> That's a great question. It, it, it developed over time. I've been fortunate where I've had people placed in my life at certain periods of time that have just been there for a reason. I call them God wings. Um, and when I went to Colorado, when I was fired by the Mets, after six years in their minor league system as a manager, I took a job with the Rockies as a minor league hitting coordinator. I knew one person. I knew the man that hired me, Dick Balderson. Right. We had a cross-pollination of some years with the Kansas City Royals. I didn't know anybody else in that organization. They had just started in 93 with a couple with one rookie league team or 92 a rookie league team. I think 93 or 4 was their first major league season at Mile High. I joined them in their embryonic stages, but I knew one person. And as I grew through into that organization, three years as the minor league hitting coordinator, then Don Baylor hired me in 97 to be the – who thinks – who's going to drop Don Baylor hiring <laughs> me as his hitting coach? And I became his hitting coach in 97. 
And, and I stayed in the organization from 97 to 09, hitting coach at the major level for five years and then the manager for more than eight, almost nine. But I met Kelly McGregor there. Kelly McGregor is the second most influential man in my life outside my father. And for some reason, he looked at me and he asked me, what you, why do you do this? Uh, why, why do you, you know, why do you teach baseball? Why do you coach baseball? And I told him why. And he goes, so how's your off-field balance? You know, what do you do off the field? And of course, my off-field was a little, a little crappy at times. I mean, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I have 24 years sobriety. Actually, 25. Nice. That's my pit. That's yes. my, and that's the old that's that's the old pirate pinstripes. I remember the year they broke out. Yeah. I had somebody handmade from Pittsburgh handmade this coin for me and sent it back. But I got 25 years of sobriety. I've been divorced twice. And I just told him the whole story. He goes, What's missing? And I said, Well, there, there's something in me that I just keeps jamming stuff in that, that hasn't got it right. So we walk through, he challenged me to be the best man I could be. He challenged me to be the best friend I could be. He challenged me to be the best son, brother I could be. And he goes, you know what? If you can work on those, I have no doubt you'll be the best coach you can be. Then I think you got things mixed up. You're, you're pouring yourself into the coaching. You're pouring yourself into the opinions of others. You're trying to please everybody. And actually, you haven't pleased that many people. Uh, you're really good at baseball. You're not very good at life. Uh, I'm here to help you. So through a sequence of events, he, uh, he encouraged me to start a, a leadership group within the walls of the building. And I got 12 people. I, I put a note out and 12 people showed up at our first meeting. I picked a topic. We, we cooked a topic for 45 minutes. We had 15 minutes of question and answers. And then everybody said, well, that'd be cool. It'd be really cool if we had some notes for it. And I said, well, I've, I've always been a note taker. I'm a journaler to this day. I said, I got notes. I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll text them down. I'll put them down. I'll text them to you. So every week I would text them some notes from our meeting. Well, that started in actually in 08 and then it grew in 09 and it was just being positive. I mean, it's, it's contagious. Yeah. And Michael shows negativity. It's yeah. contagious. And how you show up means something to other people. And one of the things I would tell our players in Pittsburgh all the time, when I walk through that door, I hope nobody can tell whether we won by 10 or lost by 10 yesterday because today's the one day we got a chance of doing something with, I can't do anything about yesterday. I sure can't do anything about tomorrow. We got a chance to do something special today. If we can do it, if we'll do it together. Mm -hmm. So it just became a thought. It became daily encouragement. It became reassurance. It became honest truth. There became some hard conversations where I would tell them the truth. I told them, I love you so much. I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, you, you surround yourself with bobbleheads. You got a lot of people in court to have great yard. How you're getting jammed by the manager. You're not playing enough. You're hitting in the wrong spot. You know, one of the things I used to tell hitters all the time, they said, I need to hit in the higher spot. I said, hit better. There's not a manager in the world who'll move you up if you hit better. Sure. <laughs> I said, there's reasons we put the lineup together the way it is, other than you not liking where you're at. So I used to just try and get them to help honestly self-evaluate because I didn't do a good job of that at times. The email, the text messages grew into an email chain, which has grown today. Now there's over 7,000 people. I send out two emails a day. One is a faith, a devotional, and one is 
encouragement. And basically, my website, if you probably went on and saw it, it's about that yep. big. <laughs> uh, I don't have a brand. I've got a small little website. It's ClintHurdle.com. Yep. And it's free. And it's, it's, it's easy. I mean, I can get on. So anybody can get on. But it's six days a week with something to encourage, to uplift. But, hey, think about this. Have you thought about that? And you know what? Over the years, I cannot tell you how much feedback I've gotten from people that be like, you know, I was at a point and then boom, that email showed up or you showed up. You made a call. Somebody made it. We need each other on this ride. We need support on this ride. And one of the things in our manscape ideology, we don't think we need help. You know, I was, I was that guy that dug the hole. And kept wondering why I was a hole while I'm still digging. Why the hole so deep? I'm still digging. And then I would say, well, I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out. That's just straight jackass mentality. That, there's nothing smart about that. Oh, yep. got, you're going to trust the same guy that got you in the mess to get you out. You know, ask for help. Share. There's other people that have already walked through what we're walking into right now or what we're headed towards that can provide support. And it just became a way of doing things. And I can't tell you how many opportunities I've had since, since I speak corporately. Um, I speak publicly, whether, you know, in, in a different faith-based opportunities. I was up in the, I was up in the, in Newcastle, the church of Genesis a month ago. Um, spent a lot of time there and spent it from a faith-based presentation. Went out to a little league field. Uh, they honored coach Q with the Chuck Tanner award that the, they had just come up with the city. Um, and I got to honor some people there. Uh, I think it's important that that we provide service for others because I also was that guy, Michael, that I thought the sun rose and set in the crack of my backside, you know. <laughs> and, th and then I realized, Clint, get the smallest package in the world is a man wrapped up in himself. And I, and I was that guy. So when I got to Pittsburgh, I had learned some hard lessons in Colorado. We had done an incredibly cool thing there by going to the World Series. I learned a lot of life lessons, learned a lot of coaching lessons, was blessed with a lot of good players and coaches. And basically, getting fired, it settles you. And you think back, okay, what do you think you did well? What do you need to be better at? Some things I thought were important in Colorado, I didn't even bring to Pittsburgh because they weren't that important. I learned over time. There were some new things I thought were important. And I always tried to have my finger on the pulse of the clubhouse without being in the clubhouse too much, letting the players own the clubhouse. We developed a, a leadership council based on players. You know, the, the players would vote. We would meet once a month. They would give me ideas. I would give them ideas. We'd work together. I worked, uh, I thought Neil, Frank, and I, we'd get together occasionally. We tried to do it once a month, probably didn't always pull it off. The three of us would get together and do a two up, two down, two things that are going well in your department, two things that aren't going well. So to hear Frank vent or Neil vent and me vent, but we shared it all together. And then we all had positivity for one another, Michael. So that's, that's the reason for it. It works. It flat out works. And it gives everybody a much better view of life when we can go in with our hands open rather than fists up. And I can appreciate that. Obviously being a fan of the pirates, we have a lot of things that, we can do negatively with regards to what's going on. And I don't know, we talked before the call, I don't know if you pay much attention, but given your proximity uh, in Bradenton and Anna Maria Island to the minor league team, it 
have you paid any attention to what's going on with the rebuild? Do you have uh, any thoughts about specific players and their performance uh, in, in this process? Look, I follow the Pirates. I have love for a lot of people in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I spent nine years of my life uh, in Pittsburgh. My family, we were embraced by the community. Um, Bob Nutting, Chuck, you know, Frank Coonley and Neil, Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark, people I worked with, uh, Neil and Kyle Moore, but Frank was a good man. Uh, Bob, Bob employed me, Bob. Bob and I, we, you know, we agree on certain things and probably certain things we didn't agree on, but at the end of the day, an owner's an owner. Um, and they're going to do things the way they want to do them. Um, but the sense of being part of that was always important. So I could never be a person to walk away and say, oh, my God, I hope they don't win another game. That's stupid. I mean, that'd be silly. I still stay in touch with fans. I mean, like I said, the Renegades of the Rotunda. Uh, pirate Queen, you know, on, on X. <laughs> There's so many pirate fans out. You now, I mean, that I'm hoping you can have another shot at that fun, at that joy. I stay in touch with Shelton. Not a lot. I just encourage him from time to time. I shoot him a little something. Justin Message is a good friend of mine. He was on my coaching staff there the last year I was there. He's still there. I, I share information still every once in a while uh, with a hitting coach, Coach Haynes. Um, I want them to do well. There's people that work in that building that have been working 30 years, you know, so I want them to do well for the fan base. Um, I love the fact that, you know, it's still a romantic Lacom field, McKechnie park, Lacom field. It's a cool yeah. vibe down there. Um, downtown Bradenton's a cool vibe in spring training. Um, I wish them nothing but good things. Um, and that's, and that's it. So do I digest? Do I say, oh, my God, how? no, it's not my job. It's not my point. I don't oven roast it. I don't, you know, look at lineup construction and go, how can it? None of my business, man. Yep. It's none of my business. And nobody's asked me. Um, that's just the way I'm built. I just pull for them. Uh, there's certain teams I hope they beat the snot out of still, and I let <laughs> them know that every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> And I know, you know, that's, that's, that, that's the way I'm, I was fortunate, I think, to, to be involved in the game and the time I was involved in as a player and as a coach. Uh, because, you know, nowadays, if you don't like somebody, it's, how can you not like them? How can you, dude, I didn't like anybody in the NL Central. I didn't like them. And you know what? We're going to pitch inside. We're going to knock people off the plate. And every once in a while, we're going to get a dust up. We're going to, we're going to throw fists. You know, there's is the way we were going to do it. Um, we weren't going to be the homecoming team anymore that people said, you know, come on and play the play the Pirates and beat up. When you can't play the Pirates there for three years, you were up against something. Yeah. And you were going to feel us off the mound. You were going to feel us at the plate. You're going to feel us on the basis. Um, and we did that. And the players that played during that time were proud to wear that uniform. And they were proud to play in front of that fan base. Just like I was, I was proud to be a coach, to be a manager, and to represent the Bucks and the organization. Um, it was a special time for me. Um, and I know I still see a lot of players around here. My gosh. Um, it's been cool. And I still stay in touch with Jimmy T. You know, he's now the, the Hall of Fame yeah. uh, director in charge of that. So 
uh, a lot of love, a lot of great memories. Sure. Now, uh, obviously, you're currently in the, a special assistant role with the Rockies for the past few years. But there was a recent rumor linking you to potentially getting <laughs> back into the clubhouse as a coach. I won't put you on the spot as to the merit of the, that particular rumor, but is there any interest in putting the uniform back on? Uh, is that the, looking to get another ring, or is that something that you've moved past? Um, first of all, you, you, I'd get a ring as a special assistant. I asked about that before I took it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, a lot easier that way, too. Uh, you know, yeah. I needed to, I, I think, when I took the break, I actually tried to retire for two years, and I thought I was okay at it. Then I failed when, when Billy and, 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 and with the people in Pittsburgh, people in Colorado called me back up and asked me to come back on board. Um, Ron Washington and I go back 32 years. So would there now be an occasion, an opportunity for me to get back in uniform uh, organically if it happened? Yes. Um, I wouldn't rule it out. It'd have to be special. And the game's changed in a lot of ways. Um, I still think I have a skill set that plays. I think I have experiences that can help. Um, I think Bochy helped reset the clock for a lot of us that have been around the block a couple more times than most. Um, and the thing in L.A., I'm sure there'll be an announcement soon because, yes, I did an interview for the position. Ron and I go way back. Um, it's got to fit. Yeah. You know, everything's got to fit. Um, and I'm not that kid. Uh, I got to know that the manager is going to get to manage. And what the job descriptions are for me, not so much for him, but I had no problem playing second fiddle to somebody. If that was the case, I'd have no problem getting involved in a hitting environment. I would think that that would be the case. And the hitting's tough now. It's a spider web, man. I've been a hitting coach two different places for six years, and it's a completely different, somewhat job description than what it used to be. However, it's still hitting, you know, and I, I have a passion for that as well. So we will see. Um, I, I do think there's a lot of impact and influence what I'm doing right now in Colorado, though. coaching up these young players, coaching up the young coaches, the young managers and Colorado's another place. I got a ton of love for man. Spent a lot of time there. So something happens. It happens. If it doesn't, I'm good. Um, but it's always exciting when the game knocks on your door and, you know, as, as my wife said to me, you know, you feel pretty again. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for to Clint Hurdle for joining me this week. We'll be right back with more from the 412 Double Play Podcast. And we are back. Not a lot of news this week. Pirates, obviously, non-tendered pitchers, Osvaldo Bido and Hunter Stratton, ahead of the deadline uh, last Friday. Bido has since been signed with the Oakland Athletics. Roster currently sits at 37. Uh, per last check, additionally, it was officially announced this past weekend, Johan Oviedo will be undergoing Tommy John surgery. That should be happening sometime this week. Something we all assumed would happen, but is still obviously a devastating blow to uh, a player who had a breakout year in 2023. Unfortunately, no news about signings or trades for the Pirates this week, but with the winter meetings coming up next week, there is still hope that the hot stove warms up a bit in Pittsburgh. We'll see. But that wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you again to Clint Hurdle for joining me this week. Legitimately was a surreal experience. It was a pleasure to talk with him. 
Uh, as he mentioned, he's now on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at ClintHurdle13, all one word. And you can subscribe to his daily emails via ClintHurdle.com. Uh, definitely well worth a follow for him on Twitter as well as subscribing to that. You can follow me on all social media at 412 Double Play. Continue listening to the show, watching the show, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else podcasts are found. Make sure to subscribe so you get those notifications when we drop our new episodes. And from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us and let's go Bucks.